Good morning. Uh, my name is Mike McElroy. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, like Allison said, please don't judge it on this week, uh, this weekend. Come back if you're new. Uh, see you, dude. Um, some of you guys have probably hit your McElroy quota. My wife did call to worship, and now this, so I get it's a lot of McElroy for one Sunday morning. That was not the original plan. Um, I kind of got, we had a move at the trade deadline, and I got moved up, um, was, was ready to do a different one, and, and then got moved up to this, so short preparation. I was thinking about, you know, when you walk into, like, social studies class, and there was, like, the TV just in the room, and you knew you had a substitute teacher that day, and it was just, we were going to play some Bible project videos, but we're, we're here. Um, that got vetoed, so uh, we're going to dive in this morning to Psalm 85. Um, as we get started, I want you guys to think about a time uh, when you had something completely forgiven. Uh, something that was just like, man, I, it, not that you got away with it, not that it was something that, oh, I snuck behind someone's back. No, like you got caught in the act of something where you did wrong and it was completely wiped clean. Um, and so as you're chewing on that, I want to share with you mine. Uh, in middle school, I got in a tussle with my, par- with my parents. And, and it wasn't like a knockdown, drag them out fight. But I remember walking away being pretty pissed. Um, and I walked outside and we lived in a suburb and had the garage door with the, with the driveway that ran downhill. And I remember just going out there and throwing a baseball against my garage door multiple times, right? And so there are dents. I mean, the whole garage door was eventually just covered in dents. Um, and knowing what I know now about how much a garage door cost, I would have been absolutely furious. Um, and I just, I remember my mom and my dad coming out and being like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And, and I apologized for it, and then that was it. It was just like, it was completely forgotten. And so as you guys are thinking about something, man, what is something in my past that has just been forgiven almost unfairly um, and, and never brought up again? So I want you to chew on that uh, as we go, and I'm going to pray today to open us up. Lord, thanks for uh, another Sunday where we get to gather with your church. Um, Lord, thanks that you are a God who revives, who forgives, who restores uh, I pray that we would uh, just dwell on that today and, and soak that in uh, as we hear your word. Uh, give us ears to hear in your name. Amen. All right, so the story today is uh, from a time of Israel's unfaithfulness. Uh, it was their return from exile. Israel had sinned against God and was sent into exile for 70 years. All right. Uh, Augustine says this. He says that, that the Israelites were sent into exile for discipline and not for destruction. Um, I think this is hard to hear sometimes in our current culture, right? This idea of discipline, um, of owning your mistakes, of having to pay for them. Um, and so, so for them, I want us to think about a time of discipline, right? Americans, we don't love to hear this idea. Uh, I think it's getting harder and harder for us to kind of own our actions and take our medicine sometime. Um, but this idea of discipline and not destruction is why the Israelites were sent into exile. I think this is summed up uh, really well in Psalm 66, verses 10 through 12 says this. It says, For you, O God, tested us like silver. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our back. You let people ride over our heads and we went through fire and water, but you've brought us to a place of abundance. So this idea of refinement or burning away of impurities is spoken about here. The people of Israel needed a time of refinement uh, to have the junk burn away, and it took a while and at times was really painful. Um, But I think the psalm here that we're going to read today is going to reveal the heart uh, that comes out, that comes on the other side of that exile. So we're going to walk verse by verse a little bit here through, through the psalm. We're going to double-click on a couple of points uh, and really zoom in here. And so the first one, uh, first section we're going to look at is verses 1 through 3. And I think as we're reading this psalm and going through it, there's, uh, there's really good templates of, like, how to pray. I'm not a great, like, hey, sit down and just 
come up with a great prayer. And so these are kind of some really good templates. And so this one, uh, verses 1 through 3, is reflecting on a former blessing. Uh, and so verses 1 through 3 say, the, say this. You, Lord, showed favor in your land, and you restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people, and you covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath, and you turned from your fierce anger. All right, so they're remembering here the, the many attributes of a God who has forgiven them, uh, a God who restores, forgives, and covers their iniquities. Uh, in verse 1, this idea of showing favor is to delight in. Um, so after sending them into exile, he still delights in them. Um, similar to if you have a child, a two-year-old right now, uh, who spends a lot of time in timeout, right? A lot of time, like half of the day is spent like, you're going to sit in timeout, and yet I still delight in him, right? And so this idea of like there is discipline and there is still delight um, is what we're talking about here. Um, so you want the best for your kids, right? When you, when you discipline them or if you work in a, in a job, like the discipline idea is like, I know certain times call for discipline uh, because we're having to play the long game, right? It's a, it's a long-term vision of what a fruitful life entails. Verses 2 and 3 say this, that he forgave iniquities, right? And he set aside the wrath with them. Uh, so he lifted the burden of sin and he carried it away. Similar to my parents in the garage door, right? The, 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 the sin was taken care of, it was completely blotted out. There was no weight or burden on my part. Um, so God's forgiveness should free us from that burden of guilt. Um, so this next set of verses, verses 4 through 7, are going to um, appeal to God's benevolence in a time of trouble. Um, and their present distress is what it says. Um, and so we're going to spend a majority of our time here this morning. Um, and again, this is another great way to pray if you're struggling with like, man, I don't know what to pray or how to pray. Um, in these verses, you're going to hear, show us, grant us, and restore us. Right? So show us, grant us, and restore us is a great kind of framework for us to pray. And so here's verses 4 through 7. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. So again, 70 years in the desert, right? That's like, what's that do to a person after 70 years in the desert, right? There are people who have been forgiven, yet in constant need of forgiveness. They've been restored and yet are in constant need of restoration, uh, which reminds me, I grew, up in a, I grew up in a Nazarene church, which is, I mean, it's like Baptist, kind of, essentially, if you're kind of wondering what that is, my grandpa was a, a Nazarene pastor, um, but after every service about, the guy would be like, all right, everybody close your eyes, and we're going to pray this prayer if you want to accept Jesus, right? And you kind of raise your hand and pray the prayer, and you're kind of looking, and uh, I remember every time praying that prayer, right? It was like, oh, we're going to pray that. I was like, well, I better, I want to make sure, right? And so every time I would pray the, oh, Lord, forgive me this, and, um, and hoping that, man, you know, I'd messed up the week before. I, it was not great. I need to be restored. Um, not great theology, but this idea of process and change and renewal, it's hard and it's frustrating, right? I think as a little kid, I was like, oh, I just want to be done and, and it to be over. Um, and I think we're going to see here this idea of renewal takes a long time. Eugene Peterson wrote a book uh, about the Psalms called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, right? So this is this idea of like, it is going to take a long time for us to get there. Uh, I want to zoom in here on verse 4, uh, where it talks about restoring us again. Um, this is an ask for God to breathe life back into their community. Um, I think when you think about, okay, exile for 70 years in the desert, what that does to an entire population and people group, uh, you think about us, right? This was like 90 degrees all week here in St. Paul, and everybody lost their minds for a week, right? And so 70 years of what just happened is kind of how I thought about that. I'm like, man, I would need some restoration in my soul as well if I was going through that. Um, so I want to I ask, when was the last time you guys restored something? Uh, you took something old, dirty, beat up, and you made it better. 
Uh, you made it more like it was created to be. Uh, my wife and I bought a house built in 1900, um, and it looks like it was built in 1900 a couple places, all right? And so it was in dire need of restoration. Um, thankfully, her dad's a contractor, and my dad is like contractor light, like he's kind of like there, sort of, but like it'll get the job done and it'll be good enough. Um, and then YouTube videos, right? And so we have been chipping away at restoring this old house, uh, and it takes a long time. Um, and I don't know that we're ever going to be done restoring. It is continual process. Uh, my wife had this quote when we first moved in uh, about four years ago. And I was like, you kind of get done with the project. You're like, all right, we're done. Like, we're done. We don't have any more projects to do. Uh, and she said this, and I think it could like, either be a tagline for like Home Depot or something. She was like, hey, your house is like your heart. You're never going to be done. And at that moment, I was like, oh, like here, like, that just means it's like her freedom to spend a lot of money as we go. Um, <clears throat> But it's true, right? It's this constant idea of restoring. Um, and and I, have a, I have a mentor um, who, who always likes to say this, and he says, like, you're good enough, but get better, right? And so I think this is this idea of restoration. Like, you have been restored. You are good enough, and that should draw us into get better, to invest in. Like, our house is good enough. Our kitchen is good enough. It works right now, but I would love to restore it, right, because of what that does t- um, to it. <clears throat> There's an article, I think you guys have the, the clip, and this might be hard to read up there, but I'm going to, yeah, it is hard to read. All right, <clears throat> I'm going to uh, talk you through it. So this was an article in what's called Comment Magazine. It was written a few years ago, and it was brought to my attention recently. Um, it was written by a pastor who's also this guy, he called himself a master tinker, right? And so he loves to fix and restore old houses. Um, and this article is called Repair and Remain. And I would encourage you guys, I mean, it, it, read that article. It's, a, it's an awesome just picture, I think, of like countercultural thought of repairing and restoring things. Um, and here's a beautiful kind of summarization. If you can't read that bottom paragraph, it says this. It says, the promise is always the same, that this, whatever this is, right, be it an app, be it a phone, be it a new, whatever it is, um, will make you happy. <clears throat> Never mind trying to fix what you've got. Just get a new one and start over, right? That's the cultural current that we swim in. Um, and I think this psalm is even talking about no restoring, restoring, restoring. Don't throw it out, just restore, all right? <clears throat> there is great joy in restoring things. Um, taking the broken and making it new, uh, making it work better. I think people notice when old things get restored. Uh, I think it calls us something deep within inside of us. Um, this longing to be restored. Uh, God is our restorer, a restorer of souls, relationships, minds, and bodies, um, and we need to let him work in that. First Peter 5.10 says this, uh, And the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a, will, a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I think we'd like to skip that after you have suffered a little while part and just get the strong and steadfast, but that's not the, that's not the play, right? Um, the tough stuff will grow us, and he promises always to restore us. Okay, so verses 6 through 7 say this, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us salvation. Maybe right now you're in a season um, where it's hard to rejoice. I get that. Uh, Maybe tough stuff has happened in personal life or among friends or financially. Uh, The word revived here means to be brought to life or to cause to live. Uh, You have been forgiven, completely wiped clean, transgressions blotted out. You have been revived so that you may rejoice. Uh, It's not our power or actions. We're restored so that we may rejoice in the God who restores. 
Our restoration should always lead to joy, right? You restore something old, it should always make you proud. Um, and that's what God is doing here, and that's how God feels, I think, when we are restored. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Um, I hope we can appreciate that for what it is, of, of joy and restoration. All right, verse 8 says this, I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not return to folly. Um, so I want to I zoom in on this idea of listen. I'm really good at telling God stuff, um, not always great at listening. Um, often distracted uh, with the phone or with music in the car or some task I have to do, being still and quiet, I think it's getting a lot harder. Uh, I laugh. This idea of like quiet retreats, right? I really want to do like one of these retreats, right, where it's just a silent retreat. And it's like, it's hilarious to me because that is essentially you just like turn your phone off and sit in a room and then you're paying somebody to do that thing which you could do in your house if you had the discipline to do it. Uh, but I think it shows how broken and kind of destructive our culture is uh, in this idea of constant distraction. Um, and it impacts our ability to hear from God. Uh, Blaise Pascal said this, he said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit in a quiet room alone. He said that 400 years ago, guys, right? So it's gotten, it's gotten worse, right? 400 years ago, he's like, man, it's hard to kind of sit here alone. Um, so 400 years ago, that was still his heart. Um, and I want to, uh, as I was kind of looking through some of this stuff, I, I found this study that I, I thought was hilarious. It was in the Journal of Science. And the researchers brought these people into a lab, uh, and they told them they were going to sit quietly in a room for 10 to 20 minutes. And that was it. That was like the whole experiment. You're just going to sit here with your thoughts for 10 to 20 minutes, took away their phones, their watches, all the different distractions that they could have. Um, and, and then they showed the participants some random pictures, I think, to just kind of distract them. The real thing that they were looking at was like, can you just sit quietly for like 10 to 15 minutes? Um, they then pointed to a button nearby and said like, hey, if you push this button, it will deliver a shock to you, all right? And this Westgate is the lady who ran the research, and she said this. Westgate says they had each participant press the button just for practice and then asked them how unpleasant it was and whether they'd pay money not to be shocked again. The participants said the shock was unpleasant, and yes, they would pay money to never be shocked again, all right? So there were only two rules. They bring all these people in, there's two rules. You can't get out of your chair and you can't fall asleep, all right? So then kind of going through it, uh, and they said, if you're bored and you want to shock yourself, you can do that, right? And remember, they had said, I don't want to get shocked. I'd pay money not to. Westgate says, the research team debated the aspect of the study because it was ridiculous. Some thought, why would people choose to shock themselves? And then they were astounded by the result, as you could probably guess. Um, so I already told them they didn't like to shock. Um, we weren't really expecting people to do what they did. But to the end of the study, we found that 25% of women chose to shock themselves. And guess what number of men decided to shock themselves? 70% of men, right? So there's a reason that women live longer. It's just, it's nature, right? So 70% of men shocked themselves in a room for 12 minutes. 12 minutes was the only thing that they had to do. And 70% of the guys decided to shock themselves. Uh, we have this like natural bent to not be able to sit still and be quiet and be with our thoughts. Um, and I think that's, you know, in this verse, that's when God is speaking, right? Are we in a place to listen? What's our heart posture towards God and listening to him? Um, I think sometimes he speaks in a whisper like he does to Elijah in 1 Kings. It wasn't in the wind or in the storm. Uh, it was in a quiet whisper. Uh, sometimes it's like Samuel when he's with Eli and, and God's calling to him. And he's like, Eli, what do you want? Eli, what do you want? And Eli's like, go ask God what he wants. Um, so it's like, we, are we attentive in listening to God's word and call? Verse 9, um, verse 9 says this, says, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Um, are we inviting God to dwell 
uh, amongst us? Uh, do we seek his presence daily? Uh, a great question from a mentor of mine was this, what are some things that stir your affections for Jesus? I think that's a great way to invite this idea of dwelling. Uh, I've got a picture. I wrote this down. Um, this was an, just a profound thing for me. And so I, I would encourage you guys, like, again, that's just my journal. Um, but for you guys, and it's hard to, I get it, it's hard to read the chicken scratch. Um, write those things down. I'd encourage you guys. What are, what are the things that stir your affections for Jesus that make you go, ah, oh, man, like, this does it for me? Because uh, I think that will help us invite him to dwell when it, amongst us and, and in us and, and us be able to just be in his presence a little bit more. Philippians 4.8 says this, uh, Paul encourages us and he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things, right? Think about such things. In the Old Testament times, God dwelt in a pillar or a smoke or a tabernacle, and then it was manifest in the person of Jesus, and now we have the Holy Spirit, constant dwelling of God within us for those who have accepted him. We're going to wrap up with this, uh, verses 10 through 13, this idea of a future hope. Um, so we'll read this, verses 10 through 13 here. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. So they're kind of great Instagram verses, right? Throw it in the Instagram bio. Uh, will look great on a tattoo. This, this idea of like, oh, faithfulness and peace and kiss. and It's beautiful, right? Um, only in Christ are these things perfectly executed. Uh, this covenantal promise of God, we try to do them separately, and they're usually a mess. Um, they're well-intentioned but flawed. Uh, I think about like this idea of instead of righteousness, you substitute justice. So justice and peace, when have you seen those done really well together? Not very well, especially, I think, in our time. Um, G.K. Chesterton said this, and I think this is a perfect picture of what this verse is talking about, and G.K. Chesterton kind of applies it to kind of what he sees going on in society back, you know, 70 years ago now. It says, the modern world is full of old Christian virtues gone mad. The virtues have gone mad because they've been isolated from each other and are wandering alone. Thus, some scientists care for truth, and the truth is pitiless. Some humanitarians care only for pity, and their pity is often untruthful. These virtues, again, are found only in Christ. They're perfectly married together in him and his covenantal relationship with us. And the relationship is always going to be one-sided. It's never going to work because of our strength or will or ability. The covenant between God and his people only work because of his grace towards us. It's a beautiful picture of the God we worship. The final verses here are similar to the first, and uh, that the writer is celebrating what is good as he looks towards the future. He remembers the good things that God has done and the promises that he has kept. The psalm is an awesome example of prayer that we can go back to and modify for our unique personal situations. Remembering former blessings, presenting current distresses, and then longing for this future hope. Um, the only hope, hope that's only found in the king of kings, a king who forgives, one who welcomes us out of our own exiles, one who forgives and blots out all of our transgressions. Just kind of like my baseball pitches against the garage are completely forgotten and the burden has been lifted. Um, I'm going to finish with this. This is the quote Tim Keller, kind of a Jedi in the faith. Um, and he says this about the gospel. The gospel is this, guys. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, believed. And yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. God wants a, wants a relationship with us. You're forgiven. Your transgressions have been blotted out. There is a future hope if you believe in the God of the Bible. The God of Israel is still restoring things to this day, and I, I, my prayer today is that we can dwell on that.